Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. All right, now we are here talking all things Tottenham, which obviously is pleasing to me, uh, with Steve McGookin. You can find it on Twitter at Steve McGookin and is a former president of New York Spurs, which is a New York supporters group for, obviously, Tottenham. Uh, Steve, this was a profoundly good season. Uh, for Tottenham, obviously fell quote-unquote short <laughs> of the title race, um, but continues Tottenham's improvement in their uh, finish in the league table, highest finish for Tottenham, most points for Tottenham in the Premier League era. Uh, what what was your view on the whole of what was, come the end, a fairly successful season for Tottenham? Yes, oh, uh, thanks for having me back on, Kevin. It's good to, good to talk to you. Very, very, very happy with uh, how we played this season. Very proud of the team, the way we were organized. Uh, very proud of the players and the coaching staff. Can't say enough about uh, how proud I am to identify with this team this year. As you said, obviously, we finished the highest scoring team in the league, uh, as well as having the best defense and, and the lowest number of losses in the division. Um, another remarkable thing was uh, was Harry Kane's amazing season, despite being out for three months of it. Uh, and Hugo was also, you know, very unlucky not to not to win the Golden Glove this year. Yeah. And of course, of course, finishing above Arsenal that was a huge bonus. But but as I say, most of all, I think it was the way we played. We played some really sublime football along the way, and it was a a genuine joy to watch to watch this team take the field this year. In terms of you know year on year improvements, you really couldn't ask for anything more. But, but, no silverware, and a, a team this good deserves to win things, and that's where I think we need to um, focus. Certainly not in the immediate short term, but over the medium term, we need to we need to start winning things. Uh, and as you say, you know our best league finish since 1964. We we did make a race of it, but. Quite frankly, it was always going to be Chelsea's to lose coming into that final stretch. Uh, I think in terms of you know my favorite game, um, my highlight season highlight in terms of uh, an individual game was the the 2-0 win against Chelsea at the lane and, and Deli Ali's action replay goals. It was you know one of the games where we you know as you know we we just bossed it from the get go and I I really I don't think there was another team that could have lived with us that night. But actually, you know I'd also point to uh, the, the game at Crystal Palace immediately after the heartbreak of the of the of the cup semi-final because that was a game where we needed to bounce back strongly and we showed just a, a, a tremendous character in what was a you know a very difficult game against at that at that stage a very a resurgent uh, Palace team uh, that hadn't hadn't yet obviously you know secured their own um, their own safety and that that game took an awful lot of emotional effort and 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 I think psychologically it showed 
what we'd learned from the collapse at the tail end of last season, uh, we'd actually um, we'd come off our most disappointing outcome, our most disappointing result of the season, and um, and, we, and we were able to, to claw our way back into it. And, and I think also um, the same thing emotionally and psychologically uh, was attached to the, the final game at the lane. Uh, just a, a huge emotional occasion. We absolutely needed it to go right. Um, and, and again, especially we were coming off that, that loss at West Ham. Uh, but we we were able to step it up, and we were just outstanding. We played some great football in order to you know beat beat United that day, and it was just a, a wonderful day all round. Uh, season low light, I think. <laughs> um, I think generally uh, the whole our, our, of the Champions League. I was going to say our our general disappointing performances in Europe. We 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 undersold ourselves. And and we got really we, we got what we deserved. I think our performances didn't really warrant um, anything more than we got out of that. <clears throat> but definitely as a as a single game again, the, the low light for me of the season was the um, was the cup semi final because you know when when Delhi scored that incredible equalizer, I, I really did think, and I, re- I think I remember saying to you at the time, I, I did think this is it. We can go on and win this now. Yeah. Um, but. Conte, I mean, you know, Conte being able to bring Hazard off the bench and Costa, was, well, less so Costa to be mm. honest. I'll say, I mean, you know, Hazard is a Hazard's a match winner, and and you know, for for him to be able to bring a player like that off the bench, it sort of shows the depth of resources that they have that allows them to bring on players like that, and that's that emphasised the difference between the two teams. I mean, if you if you look one to eleven. One to eleven. Our first choice team is, I would argue, the best in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just don't have the depth to be able to bring a match winner off the bench that can turn a game. And 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 I think you know, as you and I have talked about in the past, that's going to be uh, one of the main challenges that we're that we're going to face next season. Um, so I mean, obviously, if you're you know, if you're a manager, you start from the premise that that every position on your team can be upgraded. But but given the starting eleven that we have and how we want to keep the core of the team together, uh, plus with you know what's happening with the stadium and we won't have the kind of resources that we might like, it, it raises the question of you know what sort of players do we target if we're if we're looking to bring somebody in? First of all, who are they going to displace? You know who in our first choice eleven are is a new player going to uh, going to displace? So that means you, you're either looking for younger players with a big upside, but as we know, you know, Deli Ali doesn't come along every day, or um, you're looking at players who are going to bolster the squad, but they they might they might have to be content to sit on the bench for three out of four games, and that's not an easy balancing act, as you know. Yeah, it, it's very hard, and Pochettino has been quoted saying as much that it's very hard to add to the squad. Not only because it's hard to replace any of the players in our current eleven, but also because of the atmosphere at the club um, that has so much kind of familial love about it. Um, yeah, guessing how somebody will fit into that, you know, having to go beyond the scouting, which now I think is one of the reasons the Premier League has become even more competitive. Is now everybody has similar access to digital scouting. But it's right. it's that next step of how will this person fit in in the building, um, not just on the pitch, that, that makes it all the more difficult. And as you say, do you go out and buy a starter, which can mess with that harmony because you're putting yeah. one of your better players on the bench? Or do you go and try to buy somebody for the bench, which is kind of what we tried mm. to do with Jansen? Um, mm. 
And then, to be fair, he shouldn't have had to get a shot this year, right? But uh, And we spoke before the season even that Kane was going to get hurt this year. The fact that he had played mm-hmm. two years without missing a match, n- not that he's was all of a sudden injury prone, but just nobody can play a contact sport that long without getting right. injured. Um, and so we did We did bolster depth. It just didn't pan out. We we brought in Sissoko in case we lost one of our wingers. Then we lost Lamella, and then Sissoko yeah. wasn't able to do the business, right? So I, I felt like we did do well last summer. It's just they didn't come good for us. And I, I've mentioned before that I honestly think that if we had had Lamella come on in all those matches where Sissoko came on, we could have won the mm-hmm. title. Yeah, I, that's I think I think I think that's how close that margin yeah. was. Um, yeah, again, it goes back to that thing about you know, do you have a match winner who who you can bring off the bench? And and Lamella is about the closest uh, that we have to someone like that. Yeah, uh, or it would so have been Sun. Lamella would have been starting and Sun come right, off. Right. But either way, right. yeah, yeah. And and it's interesting that you mentioned Jansen as well because that's a that's a dilemma for Poch if he goes out and buys another striker or. You know, someone to can, who can play up top, uh, and that's uh, that's not a vote of confidence in Janssen, which I think he needs. He needs to be the the second striker. He needs to be the the uh, the alternative to Kane, uh, and I think he'll come good. I really, I, I've said to you all along. I think I love what he brings off the ball, even when he's not. Uh, involved in the play directly, I love yeah. how he uses space. I love how he uh, creates space for his for his teammates. So I, I I'd like to see Jansen, um, you know, g- get a few more games uh, next season. Also, Onoma, you know, who knows how that's going to pan out? But out of figure, he's going to get one more season mm. at least, and then see, um, see where where we go on him. Uh, in Kudu, in, in the same boat, uh, you, you've got the the hyphen twins, Walker Peters and Carter Vickers. <laughs> Yep. Um, you know, we're, go- we're going to see more of them and, and we're going to see more youngsters like Lesniak uh, coming through as well. So in, a, in a way, we <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. We have a uh, we have a, a decent squad. But as, as we were saying, it's not uh, it's not rich enough. It's not deep enough to be able to um, to, to just lock games down by uh, by bringing on someone who can who can turn the game. Unfortunately, yeah. If if uh, you were in charge of acquisitions and stuff like that, which positions would you strengthen in this off season if you could? Uh, right. Um, here's how I would strengthen every single position. To be honest with you, Kevin, uh, double everybody's wages. I wouldn't buy. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't buy a single player. I would just double everybody's wages because I think the big thing that this club now has to address is the wage structure. And if we want to keep the nucleus of this of this side together, inevitably we're going to have to look at what they can potentially earn elsewhere. Um, I, I, obviously, Kyle Walker's future is going to be up in the air. Uh, you know, everybody seems interested in him. Um, do we sell him abroad or do we sell him to one of the bottomless pocket clubs here? Uh, and obviously, you know, as, as we've talked about in the past, there's a limited universe of, of clubs across Europe who can afford to pay silly money for our players. But we're in that situation where we have four, five players who teams would pay silly money for. Uh, and so we have to now, you know, come to terms with how, how do we prioritize keeping the, the nucleus of this, of this side together? And I, I would be more than happy if we didn't sign anybody and just basically doubled everybody's wages. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> uh, 
I'd say I'd, Thanks, I'd, I'd, I'd say <laughs> I'd say um because of what we were talking about with Jansen slash Lamella slash Sun, um, I think we need a forward or a winger. Because mm-hmm. Sun can't do both. Right? Because because that was the issue. That's why Sissoko played in so many matches, is because once Jansen started to struggle, we played Sun up top mm-hmm. and then we didn't have more wingers. Um is an interesting shout. He obviously took a step back this year. Um I think we would have seen him in more matches if he had impressed in the ones that he got. But then again, that's one of those, well, did he just need a run of matches and never got them? Maybe. Obviously, Winks was the big developer this year. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, got hurt towards the end of the season. But that's got to give us confidence as Dembele is starting to get up there in age. But yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what we do. And if we decide to stick with a back three, will we try to get another center back in? Or do right. or like you said, are we going to give players another year? Are we going to say to Vimmer, you had one good year, one bad year. Let's do one right. more and see what the trend is. Um, best of three. Best of three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, um, I, I was absolutely right. I mean, the Lamella thing changes the equation completely. If we had a sense that he was going to come back, uh, you know, you know, fully fit and the, the sort of player that he was when he first broke through with us, and he had become the the, the, the player who was showing the, the potential that we all knew he had. Uh, so if we were sure that we would get another uh, season like that out of him, then to, a, uh, to an extent our, our problems are solved, I think, on the, on the uh, attacking front. Um, yeah, I think I, the thing with Kyle Walker is, and I think everybody pretty much feels the same way, I, I've been a huge Trippier fan for a long time, and you've got to figure that at some point one of them would leave, uh, either Trippier to, to just to play every week, um, or Walker would would look for you know some more lucrative pastures, um, especially so, before the World Cup, because both yeah, of them exactly. are probably eyeing a spot. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I think as you and I have talked about in the past, it's a completely different kettle of fish on the other side of the pitch, where I think you, you, there is a there is a clear difference between Danny Rose and and, and Ben. But um, but in terms of, I mean, Trippier has a significant upside to him, which uh, hopefully I think we'll see uh, over the next couple of seasons. Um, so it, it is going to be interesting what what eventually happens with with Kyle. I mean, where do you think where do you think he would end up in terms of not just signing for a team that can sign him, you know, because they're wealthy, but mm. but. Where, Team where he could make a real contribution. Do you think? Do you think City would would be the most likely uh, option for him? Yeah, we we did a City segment yesterday, and unfortunately, all the parts make sense. They need English players. They need a right back. They need some pace out of the back, um, and they'd pay the most money for him because they <laughs> City go into every summer needing English players um, yeah. just to try to get anywhere. Do you remember two years ago they literally? only had 23 senior players because to get to 25, the two would have had to be English um, and they didn't have them. Um, so they're, and they have the insane money that you talk about. The question is, would we sell in leagues still? Um, mm-hmm. So whether or not we would do that, I don't know. I think the uh, Bayern Munich thing is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, it, it, it's always hard to say Barcelona without sounding like you way overrate a player. Um, but they've been playing a central midfielder, Sergio Roberto, as their right back for the majority of the year. Um, and in a squad like Barcelona, they can carry a couple players. Um, and I don't mean to disparage Walker. And This is probably insane to hear 
for for neutrals to hear, but Kyle Walker, before he started being rotated with Trip, was probably the best right back in England. This is this isn't the the always error prone Walker from two years ago, but I think those are the kinds of clubs that are looking, and, and I do think that's incredible. But yeah, unfortunately, I think City makes the most sense because I think we could pry more money out of them because they need homegrown players than we could out of foreign clubs. But I think that's the level of club that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I, as I say, there is this limited universe of clubs that. Uh, have the money, have the resources to pay to pay silly money for players, and we have a number of players uh, for whom clubs would pay silly money. So for us, and the they're all young, so people can still young. view them as you know future potential. And they, have, uh, they all have tremendous upsides, and um, and I think that that's why for me the priority is is nailing these people down, nailing these guys down. Uh, Potch as well, Potch and the coaching staff. We have to make a priority of having a, a good, solid, medium, medium-term deal with with him. Uh, plus, we also have to, you know, put up a wall around uh, the nucleus of the team that we want to keep. Yeah, uh, Toby still obviously the outstanding member of that. Um, yeah, need need to make sure that we get him tied down because that um, release clause that everybody was freaking out about does start not this summer, next summer. Um, right. So obviously we want to get that done by then. I, I honestly understand his hesitancy because as you and I talked about um, <laughs> earlier in the season, which actually I want to talk on this <laughs> a little bit um, as this is a season review. People said that once we beat Chelsea, we should have won the title. Here's the thing. When we beat Chelsea, that was to ensure top four because we struggled October and November. We were not in second when we beat Chelsea. That that was a big result because it was a tough season. Liverpool had played an incredibly good first half of the season. Arsenal obviously were there or thereabouts. Um, yep. So the the people that were like, well, once you beat Chelsea, you became favorites, are not remembering the order in which things happened. No, I, I, that's a very good point, actually, Kevin. I think that once we beat Chelsea, it effectively became a two horse race. But um, but you're right. No, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it was ever really anything other than Chelsea's to lose because we were we were requiring them to lose too many games uh, in order for us to to catch them. Yeah, the 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 one match that was disappointing was obviously the West Ham match, but that also got blown out of proportion. But if we had beaten West Ham, we would have closed the gap to one point before they played, mm-hmm. which I think could have had That's an impact. Right. But with the amount of games that they won towards the end of the season, that result didn't. Yeah actually matter that the only right. what if is would it have affected the mentality <clears throat> but with that many experienced players that have already lifted trophies mm. you know that that was always the dream for us was close it to right. one point maybe they get anxious but in sure. the end it, it didn't matter anyway um i don't know why it's that weird aside but there we go <laughs> um do you think we just roll into next year just kind of assuming that if we all continue to develop will be there thereabouts, or do you think he's going to need to adapt again? Because in between last season and this season, something that he worked on over the summer and came back with was different formations. Because <laughs> right. it sounds crazy to say, but before week one of this season, we had only played 4-2-3-1 under Pochettino. It was the only formation he was comfortable in. Obviously, this year, then we played like four or five, which was incredible. Do, do you think we'll see any continued development from him alongside the players? Yes, I, d- I definitely do. I think he has to uh, continue to be flexible, and especially if we don't bring anybody else in, we have to make the best use of the players that we have. And so I think more flexibility is probably in order rather than uh, 
you know, staying to a rigid, uh, one rigid system. You mentioned the preseason. I, I would love us to, to play a couple of preseason games at Wembley. I'm sure we will. But again, that's one of those things that is out of our hands. I mean, it's not like we can just arrange a game at, at White Hart Lane uh, to suit us because, you know, Simply Red might be playing at Wembley or something like that. That we, we, we won't have an opportunity to you know, have full access to the to the stadium. But I would love us to play a, a couple of preseason games at, at Wembley. And I think Wembley is going to be one of those words, Kevin, where you you hear it in lots of different um, circumstances uh, in the in the run up to the season. I think all of us all of us are cautious. I think going into this season at Wembley, to be honest, and 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 we know it has to be done. And it's one of those situations where we just have to take the take the medicine and, and make the best of it but it's it's still something of an unknown factor on how how the team is going to react to it and, and also you know it doesn't help to be fair it doesn't help having built the lane into the sort of fortress it was this season and then literally the following day watching it being torn down that that hasn't helped but you know i think if we can get the logistics right and and play the right size of pitch for example uh, and we can instill a motivation to succeed. You know, Poch can he can basically remind these guys that they're the same team that played at the lane, and I think that's the important thing. And an awful lot, an awful lot, obviously, is going to depend on us getting off to a good start there. And and I think once the um, once the fixtures are announced on June the fourteenth, uh, we're going to be focused on that first home game, whoever it's against. It's it's going to be a uh, it's going to be as crucial a game psychologically as the final game at the lane was. Uh, and I, it might not be an, as emotional a game, but it's going to be one of those games where we need to win it and we need to you know, show that we're at home. And that's going to be difficult because, you know, visiting teams, as I say, everybody's going to be looking at the fixtures on uh, in a couple of weekends. And, and the visiting teams, especially, you know, smaller and promoted teams are going to look at, at Wembley as being like their big weekend out. Uh, and of course, they'll know that we might be unsettled and, and vulnerable playing there. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of unknowns about how we approach Wembley. And I think, you know, Kevin, I, I honestly do think that fans understand these unique circumstances of this upcoming season. And, and you know, it'd be interesting to hear what you think about this. But, we, you know, people might conclude that it's, unlikely that we can improve again in the sort of exponential way that we have the last couple of seasons so people might be might be okay with the idea of treading water this season but that still has the basic expectation of a champions league place to take into the into the new stadium mm. and uh, so you know I, I, obviously we, we always round these things up you know season previews are always well what would you what would you settle <laughs> settle for with the but realistically, uh, a competitive shot at another cup has to be a big priority for us, as well as a, a better showing in the Champions League. But I think going into what we're about to go into at Wembley, it, it's as much psychological as it is about how we express ourselves on the on the pitch. And if we can if we can take that that fortress mentality that we built up at the lane this season, and and at least try and apply it or try and you know transpose it to. Um, to what's happening at Wembley, then I think that's going to be really, really important. It has to be a huge priority for us. Yeah, mentioning the Wembley thing, um, a lot of people recently realized, I don't know if there was an article that just reminded everyone um, about the pitch size difference, and we've talked about it on mm-hmm. on the main show here several times now, um, is that, first of all, at the uh, training facility, 
we had a Wembley sized pitch since last summer. So we did oh. practice on a, a pitch that was similarly mm-hmm. sized, but inherently a pressing system is harder to do when there's more space because the lanes are wider. Right. You have to run more to get there. Um, mm-hmm. So that is the the analytical quote unquote reason as to why maybe we struggle on bigger pitches, Wembley included. <laughs> as you say, it could be a mentality thing. Do you think it'll be difficult for Tottenham next year or do you think that's kind of an overstated issue? I, I honestly think it's one of those things we won't know until the season starts. If we can get off to a decent start, and, and, and again, so much of this is psychological. If we get a decent first couple of games at home and become more familiar and satisfied, this, this is the team and the fans, satisfied with the idea that this is our home now for, for a year, like it or not. Um, I think that the, the sense that'll, that, that'll permeate from the stands down onto the onto the field and the players will react to that. I think if, the, the more at home people feel, uh, and I think this is going to be a big priority for the club, is how do you make people feel at home at a place that clearly is not your home? Um, but it's it's one of those things I think we won't know until, until the season starts and we get a couple of games there. Yeah, makes sense uh, for me. What do you think the objectives will be for next season. You mentioned his fans, especially a cup run. Uh, mm-hmm. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, I think that there was a season two or three years ago, and we mentioned this in the Manchester City segment that we did, where their goal was to get out of the group and stage in the Champions League. They kept right. being in it. They hadn't established themselves in Europe, and they had to. Um, it feels like, for me, and we've talked about this off air, um, that next year is that. Like I honestly feel like we could finish eighth next year. And get a trophy, mm-hmm. and it would still be a success because we need tangible proof of how yeah. good this team is. Because otherwise, it'll just be people <laughs> like the co- people that come on this show and some of the listeners at home that'll even remember how good this Tottenham team was once the history right. books come. Right? Um, is that how you view it? That we just have to win some silverware? I, I think it, it comes down to that because otherwise. You look at the exponential improvement that we've had over the last couple of seasons, and you think, well, okay, that can't, we can't sustain that, especially given the circumstances of the of the stadium move and that sort of thing. So, how do you demonstrate? How do you actually say, here's what we've learned from last season uh, or from the previous season? And and clearly, as I said, the psychological change in the team at the tail end of this season was uh, just an incredible improvement on how we how we fell apart at the end of last season. So we have to be able to point to something next year to say, here's what we've learned, here's how we've moved forward. And maybe that is, here's how we've learned not to lose in a cup semifinal. Maybe it's as basic as that. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. And uh, should probably be touched upon. Yeah, the narrative that Pochettino's teams don't win at the end of the season um, and could they ever, like, is it the training sessions? What's wrong with him? Not only did Pochettino install more formations for us to play in this year, but also we picked up 36 of the last 39 points in the Premier League right. after the narrative had followed him from Espanyol all the way to Southampton, right. all the way to us. Um, yep. And as he continues to grow, it does seem like more and more of those things will be eliminated. Um, out of curiosity, where do you think Poch falls in the hierarchy of League managers. Because last season, I remember there was a, an advertisement. Sorry, an advertisement um, for people that pronounce words such ways. Um, and it was about, it was all about the 
Wow, just threw my pen at my computer. Um, <laughs> don't gesticulate too wildly, kids. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, there was this uh, advertisement all about the managers in the Premier League. Because Pep Guardiola came, Jose Mourinho came, um, Antonio Conte came. And uh, so it was just like, look at all these huge managers that are now in the Premier League. And they did not include Mauricio Pochettino, who now for two straight years has been... Over average, literally the best manager in the Premier League. Um, do you start to view him there? Or is he, like most of our players, still viewed as a prospect? Where he'll be there one day, but he isn't there yet, despite the fact that he has a very good track record thus far. Absolutely. And I, I, I think I would not be alone in saying I'm pretty happy for us to fly under the radar in that way. Uh, I mean, it, it, it did get to the stage where there was a, a section of the, of the season where really... People were just talking about um, Chelsea, Man City, Liverpool, Man United, even to an extent, uh, and and we were flying under the radar. And I think you know that took a lot of pressure off us. Uh, so I was happy about, uh, enough for that. Uh, I I don't think there there's we're at a point where Poch is is not being recognised among football people. I think everyone knows how good he is, and they know how lucky we are to have him. Uh, and I think that's why we need to uh, make a priority of, of nailing him down to a to a medium to long term contract if we can. Um, it, I think a more interesting question though, Kev, is how does he see himself? Where does he see him in the in the hierarchy of Premier League managers? Even uh, with somebody like Mourinho, who uh, you know has made a, a distinct. Um, priority of winning the, the Europa League, which the, the game is tonight, obviously, has been overshadowed by the terrible things that have, that have happened in Manchester the last couple of days. But um, but his idea that to have a silverware at the end of the season plus a passage into the Champions League is a successful season for them. Uh, and, and Poch, I think, is at that point where he has to win something uh, in order to prove that he can win. Uh, first of all, uh, but also in terms of his influence on the team and player development and man management and that sort of thing, uh, I, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a better manager in the uh, in the division at all. And I I wouldn't in a second I wouldn't trade him for anyone. I wouldn't trade him for any other manager in our division. Mm. And I love I love how understated he is, uh, like in the media mm. and everything. Every week you see all these quotes from all these other managers. Um, whether it be controversy, like when Pep kind of got misquoted and everybody said that he was claiming City wasn't a big club, um, <laughs> to Mourinho's constant complaining. Even Conte is kind of crazy sometimes. The fact yeah. that Pochettino keeps things so low and understated, I think, is a very appreciated thing, both from the players, that we aren't constantly in the news, um, yeah. and also, yeah. obviously, as a representative of the club that we support. Absolutely. And in terms of the passion, the way in which he displays the passion for the club and for the way we play, that's the amazing thing as well. Yeah. Conte, Conte's passion when they win, when they score, and the fact that he runs up and down the, uh, the, the, the side of the pitch, that was something Mourinho used to do. He doesn't seem to do that that, that often these days. But you can tell just by looking at, at, at Poch. And you remember when, when you and I went to the Bournemouth match, for example, and we looked down, and I said to you, just, just watch Poch for, for two minutes you know, don't watch the ball. Just watch Poch and the way in which he talks to the players. He comes out to the edge of the the technical area and and he'll talk to the players through every through an attacking and a defending uh, movement. 
and and his involvement, his the, the fact that he wants to kick every ball, shows his passion that way. He doesn't he doesn't run down the the the, the touchline and he doesn't fall to his knees. Uh, and I love him even more for the fact that he doesn't do that. But the fact that he comes to the the, the crowd at the end of the um, at the end of the game and he understands the importance of that relationship, the relationship between the the, the fans and the players uh, is is very very special, very special. Oh, and 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 he's magic, you know. <laughs> Who Mauricio Pochettino? <laughs> <laughs> um, final thing. Where do you think we finish next season? It is a way too early prediction. Two of my favorite quotes in this offseason already have been, oh, well, I guess they were in the season. Now we're in the offseason. was Harry Kane said last year they finished third. This yeah. year they finished second. Um, he was like, so? <laughs> like dot, dot, dot. And then Mauricio Pochettino in an interview was told since he was in the Premier League, he's finished eighth, fifth, third, and second. And his response was, just one more to go. <laughs> um so i obviously love that is is that uh dare we dream do you, do you think next year is the the year that we're genuinely challenging for the title instead of top four and then just kind of lucking into higher than uh top four no i think we're going to win the title the first year we're in the new stadium i think uh next year is going to be hard i think we're going to be treading water i think that includes qualifying for the champions league um i I don't want to say whether that's in second or fourth. Uh, I, you know, what, what, what do any of us know? But I, I do think that if Potts sticks around, if we protect the nucleus of the team, we bring in one or two players next season, maybe at the, at the end of next season, and we pay the players that we have uh, in, in uh, commensurate with the demand that there is for them, um, then there's no reason why we can't win the league the first season in the new stadium. <laughs> you can hold me to that, Kel. <laughs> I'm sure I will. Uh, all right. Well, this has obviously been a huge pleasure. Always is speaking with you. Uh, in the interim, where can folks find you before next season? Oh, just on Twitter, Steve, at Steve McGookin. Uh, or if you want to talk to uh, other Spurs fans in the U.S., uh, go to at New York Spurs or nyspurs.com. And uh, hopefully it won't be too long before uh, we're sitting down for a game together, Kev. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Thanks again for coming on throughout the season, and especially for today. And I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks. All the best. (laughs) 